You're listening to Think, Bank, Thought, a podcast about building thinking classrooms and teaching math. Hi, everyone. Kyle here again with Megan. Bye, everyone. Uh, and we're back again today going through the final chapter of Building Thinking Classrooms in K-12 Mathematics by Dr. Peter Lillidal. Uh, it's hard to believe we're at the last chapter already. Yeah, I know. It's crazy to think that we started this like a few months ago and that we are already at chapter 15. But also, it's really cool to see how, how many people have enjoyed like listening to it. So that's a big thank you to everybody like I'm out there, right? Yeah, thank you to everyone who's sent us a message. We've gotten a bunch of emails and we see it mm -hmm. pop up on those Facebook groups, which if you're not a part of, we recommend you join because there's a lot of really interesting things developing on there and a lot of good resources being shared. But we'll get back on track because that's not why we're here to chat today. Today we're going to talk about chapter 15. we got to wrap this book up. I really like this chapter because it kind of pulls everything together. Can you give us a big overview of what this chapter is all about, Megan? Yeah, so essentially this chapter is somebody who's read all 14 chapters and they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, but where do I start? And this is just how do you build a thinking classroom and do you do it all at once? Do you do it one by one? And and you shouldn't be surprised by now, but but of course they did the research to figure out what is the best way to like implement all of the practices and that's it. Yeah, so we've done a lot of workshops with Peter. We've heard him talk about this. One of the things he wraps up with in his workshop is he says, if you decide to start by not answering questions tomorrow, you're probably not going to have a good day. So yeah, exactly. where, where do we All start? you do, you're going to have a bad day. <laughs> so, so there's a sequence they come up with. There's a great visual of it on page 281 if you got the book. If you don't, we'll, we'll link to an image in the show notes so you can check it out. Basically, he takes all the 14 practices, they end up getting clustered into four different groups. He calls those toolkits. And then he talks about the orders in which we roll those out and within them and through them and all these different pieces. We'll talk about those as we go through it. Um, but let's just get right into these toolkits. So what's the first toolkit all about, Megan? Uh -huh. Yeah, so the first toolkit is the first three practices, which is using rich tasks with frequently visibly random groups on vertical non-permanent surfaces a lot of like acronyms there right <laughs> the, um... the acronym toolkit <laughs> yeah exactly uh but yeah and for this toolkit you should just do like all of them at the same time all at once and this one is great because this is radical enough of a change that is happening that students will see that it is like i'm different and and even kids see this as like different the minute they walk in they're like what are these boards right and so i think it's almost like a shock to the students systems and like that way it kind of just like jump starts their their thinking behavior but you know there might be some pushback like because the kids are going to be like so excited so happy they're like yeah like this is great but then like you kind of see some complaining some apathy some my legs hurt kind of like moments happening well and, and at some point they realize hey like this is harder on this me is right? harder. i might enjoy it but i'm having to put a lot more effort in i'm having to work a lot harder so you will probably get some pushback at some point that that's natural um, yeah. our advice would be to push through it what i really like about this first toolkit is it's not really about you as a teacher like yeah there's some adjustments happening sure. like trying to reframe tasks or find tasks you're you're getting used to management with different types of groups and you're getting used to keeping track of if your markers are dried out or not. But really, this one is all about the students and their behavior and their experience, which I really like. And that's kind of counter to what Toolkit 2 is all about. 
I think so, because really in toolkit one, you're like setting up new norms for what the classroom is to kind of force their behavior. So if the first toolkit is all about shifting students, the the second toolkit is all about shifting teachers. And this one focuses on defronting to only answer thinking questions, giving tasks early, standing and verbal, and using check your understanding questions and knowledge and mobility. So really in the first one where like it's like we're kind of pushing the students to be shocked and do things differently, this one is all about how we have to do things differently. Yeah, it is. And and interestingly they found they they tried to do these before those first ones. Mm-hmm. And they found that they really had little to no impact, right? It was really important that you have the rich tasks, the random groups, and the non-permanent surfaces in play before you yeah. start to implement these ones. Because otherwise, they're going to fall flat and you're going to really struggle with that. And maybe, you know, there's some exceptions here we'll talk about a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, I think that's really important to to talk about that. You want to have those other ones first before you move into mm-hmm. Toolkit 2. Oh. And in Toolkit 2, like we talked about in Toolkit 1, you want to do them all at the same time. Do you do that in Toolkit 2? No. So this one, there is no like an optimal order, but you do want to do like one of them and then get that one fully established and then do another one. So so you do have to do them one by one, but the order doesn't necessarily matter. But it is really funny going back to your thing about putting this in before toolkit one. I remember going into a classroom in grade three classroom and we weren't doing thinking classroom, but I had read the book. So like I wanted to try out certain things and like I wasn't answering questions and I was like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> this is like real bad for me. But, but, you know, because the toolkit two is like, or because I needed toolkit one to be in place, but that structure wasn't there. Kids were in desks and I was still trying to like not answer questions. It was absolutely horrible. What, by the way. <laughs> yes. That's, that's a bit rough. Um, what, what I do find, you know, once you get comfortable with thinking classrooms and you kind of know what you're doing, this is a toolkit you can kind of cheat a little bit. Like, yeah, but... I, I will walk into a classroom for the first time because I'm comfortable. The students might not know. The teacher of the classroom might not even really know what's going on quite yet. But I start by defronting. I'm giving that task in a back corner. I'm giving it on the door somewhere that's a little bit yeah. different because the last thing I want to do is stand in the middle at the front. And I'm also giving it standing verbally, all those different pieces. So I'm kind of cheating those ones in earlier, but I'm going to develop them better later. Which which of this toolkit do you tend to start with, Megan? Or what was your experience when you went? Well, yeah. So, and like realistically, when I think about like defronting, when I look at most classrooms, like most elementary school classrooms, like they look defronted anyway. So like The whole idea is that when we do things that are changing, we need to change them on the backdrop of things that are the same, right? Because like, because kids won't recognize and we, we won't recognize change unless we can see what's still the same. But for a lot of elementary students, when we talked about like what, what fronts a classroom, where the whiteboard is, where the teacher is and where the teacher's desk is, a lot of that is kind of different depending on an elementary classroom. So I would say if your classroom is already defronted, don't like front it to just defront it later. (laughs) (laughs) Like just like start that there, which I think is totally fine. But I also think you and I, because we go into other people's classrooms, it's hard for us to not sometimes skip these because we want to, to show teachers the breadth of thinking classrooms. And I'm like, I can't wait for you to have this established. I need to give this standing early. And yeah, so I would say those two as well for me are, and and you know what? I will occasionally tinker with the like an answer thinking question, uh, questions only, but you have to kind of tinker with that because you can have a really bad day. 
yeah, do that. Exactly. Yeah, maybe <laughs> you're not just smiling and walking away. Maybe you're just probing a little bit further and not answering the question, maybe more through a deflection than anything, but but it's still pretty effective. Um, let's get into toolkit three. Yeah, so so to, so toolkit three is hints and extensions, flow, consolidation, and meaningful notes. And this is really cool because here is where we start to like earn back the time that we lost. This is kind of like the start slow to go fast. Like when you start doing consolidation, flow, meaningful notes, this is where you start to fly through curriculum and content much more quickly than you ever would have. And this is really, really where you like make up that time. But like, but then does the like order matter here then, I suppose? Yeah, in Toolkit 3, we're not doing them all at once. You're going to do them one at a time, but you are going to do them in the order listed. So you're going to start with flow through those hints and extensions. You're going to build on your consolidation skills, seeding, sequencing, selecting, all those different pieces. And then you're going to get into meaningful notes. And there's a lot of different ways you can do meaningful notes now. Peter recently shared a new model with us on the podcast, episode five, if you haven't listed. There's, there's a few different models floating out there. Pick the one that works for you. Yeah, exactly. See how it goes, modify it. But again, you want to do these ones in order, which I think is important. And I think they make a lot of sense, right? If you're working cool. consolidation bef- after you've already got them to do notes, like consolidation almost models how they can do notes themselves. Yeah. So you want to kind of so. support them through that. That's kind of my take on it. Um, well, and realistically, it's really hard to like expect kids to be able to make meaningful notes when like they're still having to process a lot of the, the other changes. And same with the consolidation. And I've said this a million times and everyone has, but like consolidation is so hard. Yeah. So I'm glad that it is in Toolkit 3 because it kind of gives you like a little bit of like a breathing room to like be okay with that. But also we've done it with people who have like just kind of started and like it's painful if you started too early. It needs to be something that like the classroom has to, the, the thing the classroom already has to be established. Yeah, right? I agree. Okay, Toolkit 4. You might not even want to call this toolkit for, we might as well just call it the assessment toolkit because that's really what it's all about. We're getting into that whole idea of evaluating what you value, formative assessment, and then summative or grading, right? Yeah. It's a big one. It's huge. Yeah. So this is the big one. There's a reason it's last. He has a really good quote that I wanted to share. So I'll just read that. It's on page 288. He says, through this triangulation of data, you'll be able to construct a more accurate picture of where each student is in their learning and assign a more accurate grade, while at the same time helping students to shift their focus from grades as a product to evidence of learning as a process. And I think that really sums up what those three practices ultimately do. And that's what it's really all about. And if you try these before you do anything else, I mean, they might work, but they work really well in tandem of of having everything in your thinking classroom established and, and yeah. running well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Well, and a little like personal anecdote here is that this past year, I tried to kind of put assessment a little bit like earlier just because I was ready for it. But I was like, ooh, the kids really aren't here. And it is tough because when we circled back to it and I backed off and then I came back to it, the kids are like, oh, this is so much like I'm easier. I'm like, yeah, hey, like, isn't it like way like it's much more like I'm easier. And this one almost feels like your victory lap, right? You've done everything. The kids are, you know, you know, they have been in flow and they've been making these notes and you've consolidated and they've done the check understanding questions. And this is your like victory lap of them understanding full circle what all of these craziness things have meant. They're like, oh, this is why we've done this. This makes total sense now. It makes sense. So that's why it has to be last. Yeah. The the one little hack that I'll, you know, plug in here for this toolkit mm-hmm. is that whole evaluate what you value where we're doing the the rubrics with the continuums, the little arrows across the top. 
targeting different behaviors and yeah. things in the classroom. Sometimes I have those in my back pocket ready to go way earlier, maybe even mm-hmm. as part of toolkit one. Because you know when you have that one bad day where like all the groups are just off the wall, it's going to happen. It's natural. Yeah. This has happened in almost every single classroom that I've worked mm-hmm. with. Something goes sideways one day. It's nice to end that class. Skip your consolidation if you can and just let's do, okay, what does good group work look like? What does bad group work look like? Yeah. Have that out the next day. What does perseverance like look like? And what does not mean perseverance? That does, those aren't, those are real words. We're going to go with it. Um, <laughs> but, but having those ready to go and then you can put those up above the boards the next day and then you can refocus everyone back to it. But, but like we talked about this before too, you got to have your thinking classroom kind of ready to go. They need that backdrop. They need to know what this might look like or what this should look like. You can't do this day one. No, for sure. Well, and especially because once you start doing that, evaluate what you value, like those like rubrics, like the kids need to know what it should look like. And because, and like oftentimes they have like things that bug them and you want them to have those things, but they won't have those, they won't have gripes, but within one another, unless they've seen things that like they want to change like somebody hogging the marker they they won't say someone hogs a marker until they've seen somebody who has hogged the marker right (laughs) so like so you know i do think that you should do it once you've had like a bad day but you should but they need to to at least understand that this is a different scenario because they're going to just tell you the things that are normal in a traditional classroom right sitting down being quiet doing it fast enough oh none of that actually (laughs) i don't want any of those things yeah that's that's great (laughs) Um, one thing and he addresses in the book, and I think it's important to talk about, and maybe we'll do a separate episode about this in much more depth, but this idea of collective synergy. So groups doing really well together, not transferring to the individual. So you have kids who are just doing awesome in groups. And when it comes time to do an individual test, maybe you're, they're just, it's not transferring. It's not connecting. What, what's going on here? Well, I just... I think there's a lot of different reasons why this like collective knowing and doing doesn't really transfer to this individual knowing and doing because I think that that number one, kids are more likely to to take risks in groups because they have a almost like a safety net, right? So like maybe they're more willing to do it. But also whenever it comes down to the, that individual testing, like it's can struggle. And you might still have kids who will always struggle with this, but there are a few practices specifically that are sprinkled throughout that will help you kind of like transfer this knowledge. And it is consolidation, meaningful notes, check your understanding questions, informative assessment. And this is kind of like, it's like a mini toolkit, but the best part is, is that these are sprinkled into different toolkits, which is really kind of interesting, I find. Yeah, these practices specifically are designed to build responsibility in our students, as opposed to what he defines as accountability. So are they doing it for themselves or are they doing it for you? And there's a really good quote here that I really like to, that I'd really like to share. And he says, if stu- if teachers start to require students to take on responsibility through grading or punitive measures, then they're transforming responsibility to accountability. And we're yeah. right back to students doing things for the wrong reason, grades or marks, and for the wrong person, you as the teacher. We want them to do them for their learning and for themselves as learners. So I think that's, these, these are really important to be cognizant of as you're going through them. I think so. Well, because like realistically, accountability and responsibility are mutually exclusive. Like if kids are being responsible, they don't need to be accountable. And if you're making them accountable, they can't be responsible. And I say this as a teacher, but as a um, parent, 
I am all about like accountability for like my own children, but for my students, I want responsibility. Uh, but yeah, um, and so then how do we build these responsibility practices? Well, consolidation helps students formalize what happened in their groups, and but then also like has them notice and like name things, so that so that they can fully understand like why they might yeah. need them. And like what those mean and then you have your meaningful notes which then provide the, the students with a chance and also i like his updated meaningful notes and please go listen to the episode where peter is on where he talks about it because it's great because this really does give them a like a secondary chance to consolidate more of what they've learned but then also connected to it like a personal thoughts and kind of experiences which is kind of cool yeah, and then the, the check your understanding questions. This one's pretty obvious, but it gives them some chance to practice and reinforce any concepts yeah. and having some freedom to do that with help, without help, whatever it looks like. Have some choose-your-own-adventure in there really allows for more responsibility there. And then the formative assessment, I mean, listen to the episode. We talked about that in Chapter 13, but if our students know where they are and where they need to be going, they can really focus their learning efforts to what they specifically as a learner needs. That's responsibility right there. Yeah. Well, and like really, you you can see that like the order of these matter within a like lesson too, right? Like, you know, it's not just the whole toolkit. It's like within a lesson, you give a task and you're managing flow and then you're kind of planning for your consolidation, selecting, seeding, sequencing. And then when the energy starts to wane, like you kind of get them into consolidation, follow them up with notes, and then you give them a opportunity for check your understanding questions. And it's nice because it's like, that's a lot. That's so much to do in a class, and you and you don't do that every day. But that but there's a lot there, a lot of opportunities to be responsible or to kind of understand your learning a little bit. Yeah, and like you said, the order matters, right? Like we're not doing check your understanding questions before a thinking task, like we might have in a traditional classroom. You know, we take up homework or do whatever, yeah. and then get into the lesson. That's not what's happening here. It's very intentional. The order here, so just be cognizant of that. But let's just talk about this because schools across the world have very different structures, right? Some teachers that might be listening to this might have a two-hour block teaching. Some might have half an hour. How do we adjust this based on the time we're going to be teaching? Well, so for me, I have, so I have classes. My class was, it was 40 minutes like this year. And then, but then in contrast, I'm going into some 70 minute blocks next year. Right. And I think it's just, if you like, if it's like really, really short, you might just have to break it up into two days. So if I, if I have my 40 minute lessons and I'm like, okay, we're doing like table of values, I might do a thinking class for the, or a thinking task for the whole first class. Second class, I do it. I, I still start them in like that thinking task to jolt them back into the thinking, but then I will end it much quicker in like 15, 20 minutes and then give myself time to, to consolidate check your understanding, all of those like notes, all of those things. But then you also have, have times where it's like super, super long. Yeah. And if you've got a really long class, you can do it do a few different things, right? You can do a really big task. You can really stretch it, take them really far. You might have kids run out of steam by the end of that, but you could also consolidate partway through and then do another task related, or you could do check your understanding questions and then do another little task, right? Like you, you have a lot more flexibility. Too much time is not going to be a problem for you. If you're in a thinking classroom, you're going to be able to find ways to fill it and really get your students engaged. Let's talk about what happens if you've already established a thinking classroom, like yourself, Megan, but you're heading into the fall here. You're going to have a brand new group of students coming in. Maybe your term is changing. You got a new group of kids, but you know what you're doing. How do we get the kids on board? 
Well, there is kind of a sequence with just two toolkits, and that toolkit is on page number. That's where, come on, Kyle. It's page number 294. Put that in the podcast. That whole part. (laughs) Yeah, on page 294, there's kind of a pseudo sequence, and we will like link the picture, obviously in the show notes and this is kind of cool because this is i'm curious because this is what i'll be doing like this year is with with also having some students that have been in my classroom from last year will be in like this year but in the first toolkit it is rich tasks random groups vertical non-permanent surfaces defronted only answering thinking questions giving tasks verbally standing early knowledge mobility flow and consolidation that's a huge first toolkit yeah. And that does a lot to take on. But if you're comfortable as a teacher, like that's realistic. The rate limiting factor here is your students and how quickly they can adjust. And you might have students who have already been in a thinking classroom. You might have students who are brand new to this. So you're going to have a little range, a gradient of experiences you're going to have to navigate there. And you can, he says, if you're experienced, you can handle this all at once, but expect your students to be extra shocked and they'll need some time to get used to it. You're not doing this first toolkit and then everything else starting the next day or next week. You're going to need some yeah. time to do to do this. And keep in mind, we know this about thinking classrooms. You're going to make this time up in the end anyways. And once you've got this established, kids are comfortable with this. You're comfortable with this. you got your well-oiled machine cruising. You can go into toolkit two, which is just the rest of the, 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 it's just the rest of the practices. Check your understanding questions, notes, evaluating what you value, formative and summative assessment. And unlike that first toolkit, he says, do these one by one. Because there's going to be some adjustments that happen. And you want your kids to get good at notes to their future forgetful selves before you start worrying about all this other stuff, right? So take your time and go through that. He says there's some freedom in the order, but I think the order he prescribes there is pretty mm, good. I think so. But I mean, like anything, you can put your own yeah. flavor on this, make it work as exactly. you see fit. Notes before, check your understanding questions maybe or something. But yeah, I would say by and large, it's pretty much exactly how how you want it to be. And like realistically you might have kids who and i think that the younger your kids are the more uptake they're going to have like the older your kids are like i've got some six sevens and like some kids have been in a thinking classroom but and some kids have been in a thinking classroom where it was just the first toolkit yeah right like understand that just because maybe the previous teacher did a, a thinking classroom if they never go past the first toolkit the students like some of these things are still going to shock your students and, and there's a lot of like new people in the room might be enough of a change too. The, yeah. the social dynamics might be in. a lot of changes over the summer, right? So that might be enough to, to remind us that we need to give attention and time to these things. He kind of closes out this chapter, closes out the book really with this idea of not getting lost in the weeds, right? Um, I think he talks about seeing the forest from the trees. We can get so consumed by the little details in a thinking classroom. Like, oh, do I mm-hmm. do I give the cards out before or after I give the task? Like all these little things. And yes, there's answers to those questions. But at the end of the day, the whole point of this is to get our students to think. So whatever you're doing, whatever you're experimenting with, as long as our goal is moving our students towards thinking more, I think we're on the, all on the right page. And we will debate, Megan and I disagree on little pieces here and there in thinking classrooms. But at the end of the day, we're on team thinking students. Like that that's really what it's all team thinking students. Can we put that on a like um t shirt? Yeah, but next t shirts from Think Think Thunk. Yeah. Um and you know what? We'll leave it to Peter to round this out for us because he's got such a good quote that kind of sums us all up together. It's on two ninety seven if you want to find it yourself. He says, When you achieve this, all these practices will lose their discreteness and meld into a whole. 
You'll have a classroom that is not only conducive to thinking, but also requires thinking. A space that is inhabited by thinking individuals as well as individuals thinking collectively, learning together and constructing knowledge and understanding through activity and discussion, you will have built a thinking classroom, which I love. It is just a nice way. He's so good with words Perfect. to wrap things up. Yeah, um, the wordsmith like that, man. Hey. Yeah, and as we as we wrap up this final episode of this little book club series that we've been doing, we'd love to hear from you if you're if you're brave enough to reach out to us, Twitter, X, I guess, Threads, whatever whatever ways you want to. Or All the things. To. What practice are you most excited or even scared to implement? We'd love to hear that because yeah. maybe we can do some future episodes addressing some of that. And then maybe, you know, how long did it take you to roll through all 14 practices start to finish? Or what's your plan to implement all four of these? Are you going to do this in a year? Are you going to take a few years? What's your plan? We're just curious yeah, what's going months, on out there. Two months. What do you got for us? What do you got? And, and and to close out too, we just want to say thank you again. If you've listened to us, if you've listened to every chapter episode in our interviews, like we are so thankful. We did this as a way to push our own learning and to share with a few teachers. The feedback has been incredible of how many teachers this has reached. So we're, we're really humbled by that. And we hope to continue to make more episodes. And if you've got an idea for an episode or want to chat with us, don't hesitate to reach out. Please do, because like, honestly, even though we are done the book, we're like, what's next? Like, we want to just keep going with this because I think that there's so many amazing things going on in mathematics education that can meld so nicely with thinking classrooms. So if you have somebody who like, you're like, you have to have like this person on, call us, like, let us know because of the love you guys give us. I just can't believe somebody like listened to us 15 times and thought, yeah, I'm still going to listen. <laughs> but uh, thank you for listening and best of luck implementing your thinking classroom. We love to hear the ups, the downs, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything. Oh, um, yeah. we're, we're always here. I think Jared talked about it in our first episode. Don't hesitate to reach out. We want to talk to anyone and everyone about this who's willing to chat with us. Yes, absolutely. We love it. So please, please, please come talk to us. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Think Thank Thunk. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app so you never miss a new episode. And as always, keep thinking, keep thinking, and keep thunking.